give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 53 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I'm your host and fellow Metallica fan, my name is Brandon. On this episode, I am joined for the second time in Metallicast history, the guitarist and vocalist of heavy metal bands Gershock, the one and only X. X had the idea for the topic today because of their reimagining of the song Saint Anger that has since gone viral on the interwebs he thought it'd be a cool idea to come back to metallicast and talk about some albums or songs that he felt could use a reimagining a reworking a remixing a remastering a re-editing whatever you want to call it so we go into all of that and also have a related and lengthy conversation on the big four bands including of course metallica but also Slayer, Anthrax, and ooh, Megadeth. Oh, yeah. So here is my conversation with X from Gershock. My guest today is returning to Metallicast. He is the vocalist and guitarist of the heavy metal band Gershock, who you probably remember from their reimagining of Saint Anger that uh, went a wee bit viral on the interwebs. Please welcome back X. What's up, X? How's it going, man? It's going good, man. I got to ask you. I was wondering this, and I never asked you this last time you were on. Why X? Where does that come um, from? That was kind of an accident in high school. It was like, uh, so you know how like when you go to high school and you have to, at the very beginning of class, write your name on some kind of name tag before you sure. show it to people? Yeah. Uh, well, I, this was like freshman year and I was still kind of stupid. So like I was trying to write my name with a pen that didn't work. And then I just tossed it, got another one. I just drew an X on it to see that it worked. And then I flipped it around and wrote my name, but I left my name facing me. And what that means is that there's just this X showing to everybody else. And they're like, your name is X? And I'm like, no, it says right there. And then like, there was like, dude, it's facing you. We can't see that. And then pretty much for the entire rest of the year, a whole entire class of students kept calling me X. <laughs> Excellent. I was, I was thinking like, it's either something very deep or something completely random, and yeah. I'm happy to say it's very random. That's a lot more interesting yeah, than it's, something. It's deep. way more mundane. <laughs> than you think. But I kind of I liked it because like when I was a even younger kid, like I was really into Mega Man. So yeah. like I always thought of it like, cool, right, like it's yeah. Mega Man X, <laughs> and it works for a metal band. Be like, oh, what's his name? Oh, him? That's X. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the funny thing about it is because it's so sort of vague and open-ended you can like attach a lot of meanings to it personally now if people ask me why i still have that name like the origin story is one thing but i still tell people that i prefer the name because for me i just i don't know i'm really not into the whole concept of people sort of deifying or 
idolizing these band members or musicians as if they're gods. So for me, it's always been like the music comes first, then the people behind the music. And so I kept the name X because to me, it always meant like the name is not important. It could just be anything. So X kind of like unknown is what I kind of stuck with now. I like that. Just ignore my James Hetfield shrine directly behind me. I was not praying to that before you joined this recording the session. James I Hetfield swear. Shrine? Yeah. Oh, dude, you don't even know, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go, Buckethead. If you yes. uh, if you go back and listen to the episode that all of Gershark was on, every member they go through their influences, and uh, we found out that you are a big fan of Buckethead. Can I? Oh, but speaking of which, I have to thank you. Uh, for leaving Scotty behind for this episode. I mean, that guy, <laughs> that guy, he, you know. The mic is as far away from his <laughs> as it can be. <laughs> I uh, There's so many times where I just needed him kicked out of the band on air. Um, so I'm happy that at least he's kept at home where uh, he's safe. He can wear his little Megadeth shirts there. I'm wearing the Metallica shirt today. I see that. I like that shirt too. I do not yep. own that one, but I, I like it. I, I, or from well, S and M too. This yeah. Shirt. This shirt was exclusive for the S and M two concert. Yeah. What do you think of there. that show? You were there. Yeah. And I'm not sure you mentioned that last time. So what was that like? Uh, I got very bad seats. I'll admit. <laughs> so like, I was at the very top of this stadium, looking down, and you could just barely even see anybody on the stage. Yeah, but Metallica makes up for that every time. Like if you sure. if you're too far from the stage, like they have these giant projector screens that just not only show them sometimes, but like sort of surrealist art every now and then. Like yeah. when they played the Outlaw Torn, which was personally my favorite song from S and M One, they did like this sort of red not not the album cover, but like this sort of red like ink splatter type thing that was going on in right. the projector screens, and that. For like a song that dark and depressing, it's really fitting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that you could hear it all the way up there because, spoiler alert, they're a little bit loud. A little bit of a loud you, band. You, you would think, but honestly, I didn't even need to wear my earplugs. Yeah. Like, in order for them to sort of match the same level as the symphony. Sure. The That was probably the highest quality sounds in terms of concerts I've ever been to. And that's... And like for those who actually have done that sort of thing before, like miking up and having good sound quality in an arena is very difficult. So I was Extremely. very impressed with that. I mean, think of how many I, I've lost count of how many metal bands I've seen, uh, whether it's in a theater or an arena or in a stadium. And it just sounds muddied because metal alone is hard to mix live. I feel like especially when you have like fast drums going with double bass it's very easy for that double bass to just overpower the whole band and for things to get lost in the shuffle especially if there's like a lot of screaming and not a lot of clean parts or clean vocals and i mean a lot of bands do it really well obviously but i've seen some bands where i've been like oh this should be good and i'm like oh they've this this just sounds like a muddy mess so like to get a really clear precise sound as a metal band in a live setting that alone i think is impressive yeah i mean the other thing that's weird about that too is that actually mixing metal with symphonic like classical orchestration is just 
it, it's almost like an oxymoron. It's not really supposed to happen. Like, <laughs> right. When you think of a lot of symphonic classical music, like you'll just have practically like 50 instruments on stage all performing little tiny pieces of what a bigger picture is going to yeah, sound like. Exactly. But then at the, on the flip side, you might have some classical songs that are just a piano or like just a violin. And that's right. the only instrument for the entire piece. And metal is kind of on that end of it where you'd like take your 50 something instruments and then strip them away and strip them away until you're whittled down to two guitars, a bass and a drummer maybe vocals too like that's not even guaranteed either right and what they do is they make up for the missing instruments by just blowing the volume and like <laughs> levels of the instruments as high as they can go sure and therefore you have to also kind of whittle down the technicality of the playing too and make it so that it's more just the single notes or power chord stuff you can't just do like sort of doubled chords or like really dissonant sounding stuff without it just right. sounding like Bleh! <laughs> yeah. but then uh on top of that like to take something that is idealistically just so simplified and so broken down to the core elements and then add a symphony behind that is like you know how is anybody going to want to accomplish that and actually accomplish it the way metallica did yeah so I got to ask, what is your preference, S&M 1 or S&M 2? Because I went into S&M 2 not really knowing. I kind of went into both not really knowing what to expect, right? You kind of go into S&M 1 not knowing what to expect because it was a brand new experiment. You kind of go into S&M 2 not knowing what to expect because you're like, is it going to be the same thing? Is it going to be comp like how different is it going to be? What kind of interesting musical stuff are they going to do? So it was a big question mark around both shows. But I got to say, walking away from, um, you know, obviously I was not in person either one. So just walking away as a, the uh, and looking at as a fan and looking at each one as an album in a in a film, I, I, I prefer the second one. I, I got to say, I prefer S&M 2 from start to finish. And that's not to take away from the first one. But I think from start to finish, S&M 2 just has a more consistent uh, set list. And I think I... I and, and when you hear the recording, the the way it's produced and mixed, it, it just sounds more of like a live album. There's more of a fan interaction, more of a fan presence on it. Um, and the band, when you watch the film, the band just looks like they're having so much fun. Like they're, they cannot wipe the shit eating grins off their face. I mean, I don't know if I'm like, I can even have a valid opinion on that because the main thing is that being that I was there for the second one, I'm incredibly biased. And for that reason, <laughs> ironically, I prefer the first one because of it. <laughs> Not so much because I think it was better, but because listening to S&M 2 on record, it doesn't compare. Like, that makes having sense. Been there, I mean, I can't say any experience from seeing the first one in person because I was a child at that time. And seeing the second one in person, like, you know, again, like, it's just kind of weird because I have a very different experience to it. If I were to compare them as live albums, I think the second one actually is a live album. The first one actually just sounds like a studio record to me. Yeah. Just with some audience roaring sometimes. Yeah, no, the, the first one's definitely more produced overall. And when, I mean, when you listen to No Leaf Clover alone, right, the, the vocal effects and it sounds like a studio recording, except, you know, at the end you hear an audience and he's like, thank you. <laughs> I will say, though, uh, 
No Leaf Clover sounded way better in person than it did on the record ever. It was like, you really have to be there to realize that song was made to be played live and nothing else. It's like, uh, you can say that about just about any other record on a Metallica, you know, on a Metallica album, but it's like for a song that was, you know, written on Master of Puppets that had all of those deep orchestration levels, thanks to Cliff Burton, there is still a sort of semblance of studio touch and magic put into it whereas no leaf clover actually just sounded like it was written specifically so you could hear it live and that's why like it makes sense now that's exactly why it was exclusive to that and they never just re-released it in a studio version right that's a great point and since we're on the subject of production and mixing that's sort of what brings you here this time around yeah good segue uh, do you like that, huh? I'm a yeah. I, I'm a podcast professional. I uh, as you can see, as I podcast in my kitchen right now. I'm usually in my basement, um, but I, tonight I'm in my kitchen because I'm a professional and this is my recording studio. Wait, is this uh, is this uh, going to be on video though? Or are they just listening to this? They're just listening to this. So I just outed myself. I could I could have easily have said I'm in a professional recording studio. I, I broadcast I mean, from Sirius XM why. Studios. I don't know why you're lying to me right now. You're on a stage right now talking to me, aren't you? There's actually a whole audience here. COVID be damned. Um, they're, yeah, they're, they're being very polite. Yeah. They're not making too Woo, much noise. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, nothing beats a live podcast in front of a live studio <laughs> audience. <laughs> yeah, which is totally not getting added in after this, right? <laughs> no, I definitely will not do any kind of studio magic and add in any kind of sound noise because it doesn't need to happen. Listen to them. Oh, thank you, thank you, yeah. Wow, they're still going. Jeez. Please, please, sit down, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> the show must go on. I can't just sit here in silence the whole time. All right, guys. Um, but yeah, you had this idea of uh, I asked if you had any topics in mind when you come back on and you had this idea to talk about um, other songs uh, that could sort of be remixed. Other songs, the Metallica catalog that could perhaps benefit from being remixed because of their production. um or what have you. Uh, so I'm very interested in hearing what you have to say. And I'm very uh, looking forward into playing a little bit of devil's advocate here. Right. I mean, are you devil's advocate in this case? I think you kind of mentioned, like this was during our first meeting. It was like, we were sort of talking about the idea of actually if Metallica redid St. Anger. And you were kind of uh, mixed on that opinion. It was like, Part of you still enjoyed the way we did it, but you said you appreciated it because it wasn't Metallica themselves doing it. But because to a certain degree, you still do prefer the way they did it in the original version, and therefore you wouldn't want them to completely disown that. I like how any album by any artist is put out into the world, and good or bad, it's a thing that exists. It's a moment in time. And when you start messing with that in some ways it can improve but there's been so many examples in 
music history where I feel like it takes away from the final product. And I'm not sure if we talked at all about this when you were on before, uh, but I know I've talked about it before on the podcast, the Megadeth remasters. Did we talk about that? A little bit. I think it was hard to because, uh, what was it? Just talking about Megadeth <laughs> was going to set Scotty off. <laughs> the, so, the you know, I'm a... I, I like to have my fun with Megadeth on podcasts, but I'm a big Megadeth fan. They're one of my favorite metal bands, and I hold uh, their older albums in very high regard. Uh, they have some albums that I would rank among the best metal albums of all time. Dude, so, I don't know why like anybody who's a Metallica fan wouldn't also be a Megadeth fan, considering that he was in Metallica for a short period of time, wrote more songs than Jason Newstead even contributed to the band. That's true. And then, like... <laughs> You know they're they're still cut from the same exact cloth as Metallica. Yeah. Like, for me, I, I think most Metallica fans are like, yeah, I like Megadeth too, but I really like Metallica. Whereas Megadeth fans are like, man, Metallica sucks, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, don't I think get that animosity. Maybe maybe sometimes uh, people are turned away from the vocals, which I do kind of get like the. I'm Mustaine. I mean, sometimes I'm really turned away from them too. <laughs> right. But I, I, I think I'm able to um, look past the vocals. Um, I, I mean, I'm kind of somebody too who likes, I like rough sounding vocalists. Like yeah. Tom Waits is one of my favorite all time vocalists. And he has like one of the ugliest voices in the entire world, you know? But I, I love the tone. I love the character he brings to it. So, I'm not somebody who needs like a, a a a beautiful singing voice, right? And in metal, I think you can see past the vocalist more because a lot of times the emphasis is on the riffs, the solos, the harmonies, the just the overall music, right? And then there are bands that the focus is on both. Like I think Metallica is a band where the focus is on all of it. If you hear a band like um, System of a Down just popped in my brain, like they're a band that focuses on all of it. And I'm not saying that Megadeth does not, but I think it's easier to look past um, vocals in metal more so than other genres of music. I don't even think it's mo so much the genre. It's just that I think Dave Mustaine at least understands that he's contributing to what works for him. And right. he's writing songs that are made with his voice in mind. They're not necessarily like him trying to well there was the one time but i was gonna say like he's not trying to do like singing duets with like females that are just like <laughs> there was that actual singing centric songs but there is the one time but most of the time like they're writing songs that are more riff oriented are more technicality and way more kind of progressive in certain cases where it's sure. just you're hearing three songs in the same song sometimes but because of that it's like you know he wouldn't just come and write a song that has like maybe one riff and the whole focus is on the vocals and then you're like what the hell is this shit so it's really right. just actually yeah. writing to your strengths and weaknesses in mind i think you know you wouldn't judge peace cells on the same platform that you would judge the black album for instance like sure the black album is like an absolute testament of modern recording of 1991 and therefore like a very groundbreaking sort of stylistic sound and just production quality Peace Cells is literally meant to sound as if it was recorded in some dude's garage and was just put out <laughs> into the world to piss people off. Yeah. I mean, there's def I mean, his voice definitely lends itself better on a song like uh, Tornado of Souls than it does when on a song like uh, if you're familiar with Promises from The World Needs a Hero when they did like the big orchestral power oh, ballad. Yeah. This I brought like 
or if you hear Megadeth acoustic, it does not exactly translate as well as Metallica acoustic. Um, But, you know, they, I, I do uh, respect the fact that he wants to try new things and different things. I like that in a band and sometimes it's worked, but I, I, I a hundred percent agree with you in that regard. Uh, But I, and I think some of it too, is just his personality. Like the way he talks in interviews and stuff, you know, he has, he, he's very opinionated and he says some crazy shit sometimes, and you got to just be able to deal with that. Opinions, if he was just completely neutral all the time, he would not have the fans he has. <laughs> well, that's another part of it too, right? You know, like I, I think part of why they are who they are is because, well, I think the only reason they are who they are is because of him. And part of that is his personality, love it, hate it, or in between, yeah. indifferent about it, but... You know, I, I'm a big Megadeth fan, but those remasters are just, they're rough. Like, as somebody who holds those albums in high regard, like, if you go back to um, So Far, So Good, So What, their third album, there are moments on the remaster where I'm like, I've never heard this before. Like, there's new parts that are brought to the forefront, and it just takes away from the from the original recording. And what I don't like about it is not necessarily that it exists, but now it's taken the place of the original recording I had grew up with. So if I go to Apple Music and I wanna listen to that album through Apple Music, I'm stuck listening to the remaster. I'm sure if I go to a a place that sells new CDs, I'll be stuck with the remaster. You know, I'd have to go like an uh, a record store and get a used copy of an older and i do not like that um and, yeah, and, I get you. and even like um i did uh a couple friends i've met through the metallicast twitter we did uh a binge of uh megadeth albums everything all their 2000s albums which i think are by far their weakest material and really? some of that stuff i had never like i've listened to like only like once so I was like, I'd be interested in going back and revisit those albums. And we kind of like had a conversation, choose like the best from each album and then the best overall. So I actually, within the last year, went back and revisited everything from like Risk on basically. And I got to say like Risk is actually an album I do not dislike. The remaster That's is my complete... second favorite album of theirs. The, I, I like Risk. Have you heard the remaster? It's a completely different album. Oh, that's the one that I have, yeah. Yeah, so if you grew up with the original recording like me and then you put on that first track, Insomnia, mm-hmm. it's a completely different introduction. There's some actual like sound like weird sound experiments that were in like Crushem that wasn't in the remaster and it sounded more whittled down or something like that. Yeah. And uh, uh, there's several examples on that album, especially because I feel like that was the album he tried to like, you know, change the most. But I've heard it on So Far So Good What, as, on So Far So Good So What. I've heard it on other recordings, and it drives me nuts because it no longer sounds like the album I grew up with. And I'm okay with you doing that, but give me the option of mm-hmm. having both. If you want to have let's say you did risk and you're like, you know, this was not my original vision of the album and I want to re-record it or remaster it or remix it. Okay, cool. Give me that version and then give me the original version that I knew. Yeah. Because now you've erased part of music history, in my opinion. 
You know what I think you're uh, sort of touching on is you have like this uh, sort of anti-George Lucas aspect of this whole thing. <laughs> yes, I 100%. Uh, uh, I would 100% agree with that, yes. So it's like the real thing that I'm, I guess I'm getting at, uh, let's see. It's tough for me, though, because... I did not grow up on the original ones. I was always on the remasters. That was around the time that I got into them. I'm so sorry for your loss. (laughs) I I, I feel like it's a little bit not like that for me, though. It's like the only one that I actually can genuinely say just objectively. The only one that I can say objectively sounded better in the original was Rust in Peace. And that's because this re-recording all of the vocals, you just go back and you hear the original Rust and Pace and you're like, wow, he was actually feeling it there. What the hell happened? Well, and that's an, another thing is that Rust in Peace, I would put in easily my top five of greatest metal albums ever. Why are you going to go and touch that? That's like if James Hatfield went back and was like, you know, on Kill 'Em All, I was really not a good vocalist. Let me go back and re-record my vocals on that album. Why? When I made the original Star Wars in 1977, I just didn't have the funding or technological advancement to really tell the story I wanted. So I took out like all of these human actors and replaced them with ugly blobs that were computer generated and stuff. Uh, so I think that we can all I, get, yeah. I don't know if he had a choice. He said somewhere in the booklet that like Rust and Peace just was when he was going to remaster them, the uh, vocals were missing. Like, I guess they just got lost or something like that. And I don't even know if that's just a convenient lie or if he really did just have no other option and he was going to do that anyway. But it's like, there's a few ways to do it. So I, I guess what I'm, what this comes back to is Megadeth did their remasters, which in a lot of cases was basically re-recordings. And then... Mm-hmm. Metallica or remixes. Re- yeah, remixing, remastering, yeah. and re-recording in Rust and Pieces case. Yeah. And then there was Metallica doing their remasters, in which, you know, for one thing, I'm not I can't really say I'm that big of a fan of their remasters, although they do sound crisper, but at the same time, they also just throw like 20 extra tracks into a second disc that are like live versions of the songs. And I'm like, eh, dude, I don't know. If I want a live album, I get a live album. But I hear that. Otherwise, it's their remasters are very faithful to how they were originally, even when they fucked up. Yeah. So, in your opinion, let's let's jump right into it. In your opinion, what are some albums or go into specific songs, your choice, that you feel would really benefit in this and, and why? St. Anger. <laughs> I mean, that seems like the most obvious one, right? Yeah, I mean... For why, it's more so just, I don't know if I would say why as much as like just, you know, what everybody already knows about St. Anger. But like, you know, if if this is truly your first time hearing about this and you tuned into the Metallicast <laughs> and you have not even checked this album out, St. Anger is just very rough, very rushed out. And honestly, despite how long it took them to even make that record, they just it felt like they were cutting corners. Like I get that pro tools was like a new thing for them at the time. And they were just trying out everything that they were capable of. And so the album sounds like a total copy paste job. 
you just you don't hear fills you don't hear cons like consecutive parts playing you really do several times in the album feel like i swear to god i heard exactly that same riff played exactly the same way earlier in the song and that sort of explains why there's a lack of fills or a lack of like sort of switching it up just no live playing like they used to do in those like earlier records like mm. if you listen to battery i don't think he plays the same fill twice well that there is definitely truth to that because that was part of how they composed that whole album was sort of experimenting with pro tools where they would basically have these long jam sessions or write these different songs and they would basically like Frankenstein them together mm -hmm. in Pro Tools and they would throw the parts in there and kind of, and after it was in Pro Tools, they'd be like, all right, now we have to go learn this song. That was sort of like um, not necessarily a cop-out, but sort of part of the experimentation of that album. I would actually even go further to say that for like, there was a song on our album, Dark Matter, uh, Germ, which to me is so, so deeply like dark for me. It's so specific to me in particular that it was difficult to even record that song. It was like just thinking about it while doing the vocals was making me actually throw out entire studio days because I was like having panic attacks. And the final version of Germ, you know, as much as people say, like a lot of people say it's their favorite song on the album, I still don't think it's like it has been done justice it's like i don't know like if i could go back and do it more like i guess you know peace of mind oriented and actually just calm collectively do it correctly i would like to do it but at the same time i don't think i could at the time i was recording it do it the way it was meant to be because i was just so emotional about even doing that song in the first place and so it sounds the way it does because that's just kind of the unfortunate truth is that it was hard for me to do knowing that from my own experience i can absolutely see why they would record things piecewise for saint anger because in between every riff and like recording session they were having like actual therapy sessions as well right and how are you going to like you know get back into the sort of productive mindset of recording an album when you constantly are thinking about how your band is just done they're dead they're like you're always going to be a shadow and like this is the end of your legacy like that was what they were thinking of every single time they recorded something and it was like why even bother why put 110 percent into this anymore we're just dead anyway that's yeah. kind of the and that that mental thinking is toxic but it absolutely contributed to the performance that they're not going to be able to recreate in the studio. What else about that album? I mean, there's there's so many... That album gets so many criticisms for so many things, right? Like, you said the copy and paste element to it, and I think a lot of people have sort of... Um, who paid attention to, like, to the arrangements and the performances sort of picked up on that. It's a very repetitive album, yeah. more so than other metallic releases. Even when you look at... Um, the lyrics, right? Like the original Saint Anger, you you changed up some of the, you changed up some of the lyrics. Um, in your reimagining, in the in the original, they're very repetitive. You have the same verse, um, that repeats the even 
the bridge where it goes into, you know, I need to set my anger free is really mm-hmm. just that repeated. And I think there is a purpose to that, you know, in, in some regards where it was a very singular um, sort of vision or release. And it's like, but that was definitely a big criticism, right? Is just the repetition of it. There's so many more criticisms I got to from the, the tones, the no solos, the length of the song. So what if, if Metallica were to say, hey, we re-recorded this. Are you looking for them to change just the production, just how it's mixed? Are you looking for them to kind of do a whole re-edit of the album? Because I was thinking about this before we went. I was like, if Metallica re-recorded Sane Anger as it is, let's say it has hardwired self-destruct production and it's a warmer sounding album, has more modern production, a lot cleaner production, but the songs are the same, the performance are the same. I mean, would people still be happy just because the snare drum is fixed? Uh, well, that that's actually very interesting because this is something that, you know, in all of the interviews that we've been asked on to, something I've, I was always prepared to talk about, but I've never been asked. So here we are the first time I get to You're welcome. This. You're welcome. Here's, you just needed um, a Metallica nerd on the other end. You know? Yes. So do you know about the re-recorded version of St. Anger that already existed since 2015? By Metallica? No, no. It was a fan project. Let me actually. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So it, that was like a exists. YouTube thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody went in like, and they said in like oh, just one day and $600 went to the studio and re-recorded <laughs> every single song on the whole fucking album. And very, like, I would say almost no artistic liberties whatsoever. It's very faithful. And when you think about the fact that that already exists, it sort of made us question at first, why are we doing our version of St. Anger if people already got this redone version of the album that they were asking for? Because the big right. thing that we were saying is that we weren't really doing this because we ourselves feel that the song needs to be changed. Well, you know, not all of us, I guess, but I specifically didn't feel like St. Anger needed to be redone. However, I was more so curious about what if we gave people the version of St. Anger that they have been asking for, like, would this actually be received better or would people be like, well, it's kind of lost the vibe of the original because that was my biggest fear going into it is that I can't just bring their sort of like, rock stars like fading out of an into obscurity i can't bring that right. sort of life experience into the studio with me because i can't relate to that right so what we're sort of gaining in a more concise more clear production and better recording we're sacrificing in the sense that we just aren't as closely connected to the material as we could be so why are we doing our version anyway if there already exists a re doing of that album i have to say the the guys that redid that album i absolutely love their version however if we are going based on strictly what people have been asking for they didn't quite deliver everything it was like they re-recorded it remixed it and otherwise the song compositions are the same but people had problems beyond that too right they had problems with the repetition the overly repetitive lyrics some of the really simply dumb lyrics that were on it. And 
to say that you re-recorded the album doesn't exactly say that it's fixed. It just says that it's this is what it would sound like if it was more pristine sounding. And that's, I think, to answer your question, like if Metallica kept the songs exactly the same, then I think they would just end up with kind of the same thing that we already saw in 2015 where that band did exactly that. But then that wouldn't cover all of the bases, right? So that's the reason why we did our version of St. Anger is because, you know, you have to have... You have to have some massive cojones to like actually come to task with Metallica and say that we're going to write your song better than Metallica. (laughs) But for me, it was just a fun experiment. And for someone in the band, it was actually just that to say that we're like doing this better than Metallica could do it. Won't name any names, but you know, I'll just say they don't have a microphone right now to speak for them. So I'll, I'll just say that. But, I don't really, I don't really feel like I, I would say ours is better than the other guys from 2015 that did it. I think ours is a different way of looking at it. Is to say like, there's probably people who don't want the songs to change, who just want to hear better production, and that exists now. But right. there were people even in that video who said, yeah, the production's better, but you're still singing the same lyrics like 50 times in a row. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I guess, you know, I find myself in the same spot where I was last time we spoke, where I'm torn because I like saying anger. I like the album. I do. I don't. I mean, it's not master puppets in my world, but I like the album. And I think what I like about the album is just that it's so weird. It's such a weird album. It sounds it sounds like Metallica, but it sounds nothing like anything they've released before or since. And it has weird sounds. It has moments where there's weird edits. There's weird, like there's times when the guitars sound like slightly out of tune or play a wrong note. And there's times when Hetfield's voice is like wobbly and it it's kind of goes off pitch and out of tune. And the whole thing is just like a, a brutal, heavy, dark, down-tuned, beautiful mess <laughs> mm-hmm. and i think th- the overall experience of listening to saint anger is m- more interesting to me than the song than uh, the songs themselves not to take away from the songs because i think there are some fantastic songs on that record but i think the overall experience of saint anger um is what i what draws me the most to that album like when I go to St. Anger, I'm not necessarily like once in a while, I'm like, oh, you know what? I want to listen to the unnamed feeling once in a while. I'm like, oh, I want to listen to all within my hands or listen to that track. But usually I'm like, I just want to kind of listen to this album from start to finish because it's been a while and it just kind of experience it again as an experience. And I think yeah. if you re-record it or you re, you know, do all these things, it, it's no longer that same experience which I think a lot of people would be happy about. But again, I like that moment in time. I like the that, hey, we put it out there. This is what we were thinking. This is what we were feeling. This is what we're doing. But on the flip side of that, like I loved listening to your version because, of, because it addressed all those things. And it was different. It was unique. It was new. It wasn't just like, here's a cover song. You added your own flavor to it. I also think it would be trust me if metallica said tomorrow and they're not going to but if they said tomorrow hey 
we decided to rework the entire St. Anger album. I'd be I like, would love that person. Like that's that sounds fascinating. That would be a fascinating listen. That'd be a whole different type type of experience to journey through that. But I would not want to take the place of what came before. Um, like I like having that original experience and then having all these other things to sort of build on that experience. And I think too, for me as a super Metallica nerd, like I like St. Anger as um, a go back to the moment in time, the overall part of the career, such an interesting part of the career where, as you were saying, like the band's basically over. And I think if you take the album and you take the Some Kind of Monster documentary, and there's a great book from Joe Berlinger, one of the directors of Some Kind of Monster called This Monster Lives, that goes into the making of the movie and the making of the album. I think if you take like all those three things and just kind of take them all in as an overall experience, you can at least understand and respect where they were coming from as artists and kind of enjoy it on a different level. With that said, yeah, I think a reworking would be extremely interesting. I loved your cover of it, but I, I still, I still st stand by what I said before, where I'd rather hear from you or another band yeah. than Metallica. I think because I know why, too. You were saying, like, to sort of go back to the Med Megadeth thing is that you would probably be just as curious to hear Metallica do a revert, like a redo of St. Anger as well. But there are right and wrong ways that they could go about doing that. Like probably the wrong way would be to redo it. It actually sounds worse. And now you can never experience <laughs> right. the original ever again. Right. I mean, there's in, in this, in the internet age too, there's haters everywhere. And there's some people mm -hmm. that don't even hate that are going to act like they hate, right? Like, Especially with a band like Metallica, they just attract this hate. Despite being the biggest band in the world with millions of fans around the world and selling out stadiums and this and that, there's just so much like. Well, that's hate, the duality you know? of being the biggest band in the world is that you're exactly. not only going to have fans. So I feel like if they. I feel like even if St. Anger came out in 2003 and it was Master Puppets Part 2 in terms of song quality and this and that. I, I still think people have been like, there would have still been a percentage of people that have been like, fuck that album. Fuck that band. Yeah. This sucks. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't really matter what they think when you think about it, right? Like, if they're, no. if they're not going to buy it, it's not for them. But I think some of them still do buy it. That's the hilarious part. I know, dude. Like, these people can't help themselves. But I, I, I own it so that they can shit on it properly. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, I, so I like it coming from somebody else too, because and also if Metallica says they're recording a new project, let's be honest. I'm more than anything, I want to hear brand new songs. I want to see what else they got in them, more so than them redoing something that they did years ago. It's as interesting as I think it would be, but I, th which is why I think it's more interesting too to hear from somebody outside the Metallica camp. Like Gershaw. Yeah, fuck their originals. Just <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, I, I know that's not what you meant. I no. think it's more so like it's, it's strange. There's a lot of different directions that this could go in. For me, it's just to say that if they did it, there is one band I know in particular that I wish they would do it the style of, and that would be Testament. Because Testament did not go and just get rid of their originals, make it impossible to experience those again. 
they re-recorded songs and then put them onto like a new album which they called first strike still deadly and that's essentially just a collection of some of their big classic hits from the 80s if they were redone with modern production and that's more so to just to satisfy the curiosity of what would this sound like which right. is i think the only proper angle that you can take it at i don't think you can really take something like saint anger and say i'm going to do it better because like what does that even mean like when at right. the end of the day this is all just subjective opinion you can't sure. do something better if you can't even quantify it being good in the first place i think you can make it more conventional or you can make it more up to part like up to industry standards you can even just make it up to the demand of your audience like the widespread demand but to say that you're doing it better is almost like fallacious because some people really will feel that the original was better even if you redo it with all of those complaints in mind and they'll prefer the original so i think the one thing that i wouldn't do if i were them is to make the original then unpurchasable i would just make a separate recording that has like a different name maybe just like snm2 like we were talking just saint anger 2 or like saint anger revisited something like Mm -hmm. that and that's just to apply all of the changes that people have been asking for this whole entire time that just didn't get it even when it was re-recorded by somebody else See, I, I'd rather see something like that packaged, like when they do, like you mentioned the remasters before, they've been doing these big remasters box sets. Something like that would be of interest to me if they were like, here's the remastered original vision of St. Anger. And then as like a bonus, they did like a re-recording or a reimagining of that album. Like that to me would be a, a, a cool way to approach it and a lot more... Um, and again, I'm getting both, right? Uh, just like I thought with like Injustice for All, they ended up not doing anything with the bass. Yeah, that was that was a big thing that I wanted to talk about too. Like you were even asking like which albums would I go back and redo? And it's not yeah. just St. Anger. It's Justice is the other one that I would have them redo. But again, not to get rid of the original. More so it's like the the thing that happened with us is that when we first were talking about it i think you remember we originally were going to do a cover of one and that was just going to be us doing like oh a gershock version of one and we realized that's pointless because it would barely be that different people would still think the original is better and there's just no demand for that nobody wants a different version of one i don't even think people want a version of one with more bass on it because that song kind of works it's like well uh, Again, to play devil's advocate, and I'm a bass player, mm-hmm. so I would love to have heard bass more front, but I, I think for that album, it's sort of like a happy accident because that album is so like dreary and dark and apocalyptic mm-hmm. in a way where the lack of bass just kind of takes away any kind of warmth. Well, it feels <laughs> empty. Right, and it's just it, it, and it's just like this cold, empty sound that kind of cuts yep. right through you. And when you hear those songs, the production works. And I don't think that was their intention, but in my opinion, I think it, it works perfectly for that album. It's just sort of a happy accident. So that's where I actually disagree. I think it only works on one, and that's just because of the subject matter that one is. And I think one is honestly 
just a complete anomaly of how that song even exists. It's just every single thing about it is so well thought out. It's like the three, four time signature being like a marching tempo. The right. clean guitar is just being so dead and so like twangy sounding it and like starting off with the war sounds going into that it really does sound like you died and now you're just having war repeated in your head endlessly having there being no bass in there sort of adds to that emptiness of what the song is about and therefore i would actually say if they were to not touch any song in a redoing of it that would be the one because i feel <laughs> ironically one would be the one <laughs> yeah it would be it would be that one for sure because if there was any justification between having there be no bass it would probably be just a song where you're expressing this like empty feeling of just existing without purpose and that's what the song was about and then of course the machine gun riffs the freaking blistering solos that practically sound like you're like arm just got chopped off and that's just the writhing <laughs> pain that you're feeling like one is so untouchable to me it's like i wouldn't i i don't know if we could have even done anything with it that didn't just sound exactly the same at absolute <laughs> best and that would have been impossible for us yeah. everything else though like i don't know it's like does black and really sound better without bass does justice sound better without bass i really disagree with that because the thing is I know why they did that. It was because Cliff died. And it's not just that there's no bass guitar. It's that there's no bass. Like, people think that it's just stopped with the bass guitar. But there are versions of that album with bass guitar more present. And it still sounds like there's no bass. Because there's no low end on the guitars, the drums, the vocals, or the bass guitar at all. It's just they purposefully made that album as if to sound like the bass died in Metallica because cliff died and it's like not even that subtle really it's like if you were going from kill em all to ride the lightning to master puppets you could hear the bass slowly creep in and get louder and then injustice is just gone instantly and you're like what the fuck happened <laughs> and then you look into what the fuck happened and well you kind of learn the sad truth about that but at yeah. the same time there's also somebody who were, you know, there's Jason Newstead who kind of got accosted at that. And that's the only thing that's really weird to me is because it's not like they just decided bass sounds bad to us now because first thing they actually recorded with Jason Newstead was their Garage Days Revisited thing, and that's perfectly bassy sounding. Yeah. I know it is interesting that, you know, they did that EP to kind of get back in the swing of things after Cliff died. And you hear the bass loud and clear. But when it came time for to do the first, you know, round of Metallica originals with him, they decided in the mixing process to just sort of turn that knob all the way down. And, you know, I do think to go back to what I was saying about St. Anger, again, if in the remaster they had said, guess what? There's a version with bass. I would have been like, awesome. Also, give me the original version. Yeah. <laughs> Just I, I because, again, too. it's that moment in time, you know? And it's a classic album. Like, I don't want James Hetfield going back to Injustice for All and re-recording his vocals. And I don't want no. I don't want Robert Trujillo to lay down a new bass track on it either. You know, like, I just want, if it's possible, to turn up the original tracks. Cool. But also give me that original. Yeah. I know there was trouble with that, too, because the original 
actual dry tapes before the mixing stage even occurred. Uh, apparently, the mixing engineer said that they're just so chopped up that they're actually practically unsalvageable. And I don't know. I feel like even if he said that, if Metallica themselves decided like his opinion didn't matter, they would definitely still do that. I know that's the kind of people they are. But the reason they didn't do it is because they also believed for their own reasons that it wasn't something that was worth doing. And that was where I had the real issue. So, like, the, now I think we're catching up to last time because last time we did this interview, we had St. Anger out, but we didn't do that reading hate comment video that we did. I'm not right. sure if you check that out. Yes. There was a lot of stuff that we said in our, in, in our podcast together that – I also kind of repeated in the hate comment video so that like our own fans could hear that sort of perspective. And the one thing that I came back to is that the reason we ended up doing it, and this, this is true. The reason we even did the St. Anger thing is because there was this thing that James said about and justice for all that proved to us that they weren't going to do it themselves. So the thing was that when we first were talking about doing our own, like, like a Gershock version of a Metallica cover. There was the idea of doing one, and then it was like, well, that song's perfect. Like, what are we going to, like, what's the purpose of doing a song that nobody wants another version of? And then w there was the talk about doing St. Anger, and even then I saw the merit, but because I was so f attached to the original song, even I didn't really like the idea of doing that either because I'm like, I don't know, dude. Like, we can't, like, we can't just bring, like, decades of high, like, you know, on top of the mountain turmoil of like looking back at your career retrospectively we can't bring that to the studio it's hard for me to say that we would do a better version so like part of me was like i don't know they just did a remaster of kill em all and ride the lightning i'm curious to see if they actually are going to do that for saint anger because part of me actually wanted metallica themselves to do it we didn't want like i didn't want us to be the ones that had to do it i wanted them mm -hmm. to address those issues but then and justice for all came and i'm like all right yes now we can actually hear what that sounds like with bass and they just said no not because oh we don't we have like chopped up you know tape oh because you know it's just hard to actually get those things back oh because we don't want to re-record it it's because they just didn't want to and james's reasoning for that is he said himself like you know I'm not comparing us to the Mona Lisa, but could you just make her smile better? And to me, that analogy just freaking, like, it sent me, dude. I was like, here's the difference, James. Like, if you redid And Justice for All now, you would still have the original. If you just went and took the Mona Lisa and painted her smile better, you are now destroying the original Mona Lisa. Music is not, like, high-class society art like the mona lisa is music is reproducible content for like laymen and to think differently i mean unless you were doing like what unless you were doing what uh the wu-tang clan did and like released a one and only copy of a song up for auction that only one person gets to hear then it's like if if your music is already reproduced on a massive scale like you know angels for all being like eight times platinum that means mm -hmm. there's 8 million copies of that album that exist already. You can't, you could not destroy the original version of that song if they tried to. They couldn't just re, like, repossess it and then burn them all like the Joker. It's <laughs> like, just set aside that, you know, art is an untouchable, 
like, what is it? Music is an untouchable art form that must be protected and kept in a vat and stored for like historical purposes and think that maybe there's a way you could address the demands of your audience without destroying art history. And that's the way that you probably should do it. Much like how Testament did it with their original like re-recorded versions of their songs. Hell, I wasn't even asking for them to re-record and Justice for All. I just think there was a way that they could remix it so that the bass is still in there. Because that's a version mm. that nobody, no matter how good they are, is going to be able to create themselves. I also get, though, always wanting to kind of like keep looking ahead to the future and not really spend too much time in the past, you know? Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like for Metallica, who have always publicly said, like, especially like during the load reload era and acid when they were kind of starting to experiment all these new things like we don't really care about what we did this is what we're doing now you know and kind of always kind of just trying to live in the moment or at the very least look forward but never really look behind you mm-hmm. and it wasn't really till the 2000s i think post saint anger where metallic for the first time was like you know what we're willing to look behind us and i think you know death magnetic is a, a byproduct of that where it's sort of like a new version of what came before yeah. but i think too the remasters are part of that too but i think there's still only so much time that they want to live in the past they want to keep on looking forward so they're willing to kind of put together this nice collectible remaster for the fans and the diehards and make the final product sound better, but they don't want to go back and spend too much time on, all right, well, you know, we're going to lay down this new track or find this or, you know, I I think they're just more, again, willing to preserve it as its moment and kind of keep on looking ahead. And I, and I understand that thinking at the same time. I also, you know, think you uh, have a very valid and interesting point that I wasn't even thinking of, you know, where it's like, you know, it's a very, there's a way to do it without, you know, erasing history. And it's not like you can erase, you know, if they re-recorded the Black Album, it's not like they can just all of a sudden well, that, erase I, I don't know why they would do that. <laughs> Neither do I. But I'm just saying, you know, just because it's their most massively sound-selling uh, album, I, it's not like they can just take all those millions and just but make them disappear. But then Lars would love to disappear. take Black Album and make the snare even fucking louder, right? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Except that's, with that's more the, sound. That's the thing which spelled the end for St. Anger. I, people complain about how loud the snare is in St. Anger. They kind of forget the Black Album is where the snare started sounding just too loud for its own good. Like, You ever go back and listen to that one and just be like, wow, the snare is really fucking in your face, isn't it? But that's part of Lars's sound, though, too. You know, like when you see them, when you see most metal bands live, you when you hear that bass drum, that's when you're like, oh, that's like when you like feel Mm -hmm. it in your body right and i'm not saying you don't feel it on metallica show but you feel the snare more than anything Mm -hmm. he just has the loudest snare sound and i think that's just part of his sound you know at this point so i i think we just gotta live with that but i think it's more it's more when you have the loudest snare and then you don't turn the snare on that gives people the big problem I mean, because it like, makes that ding ding sound uh, extra you know noticeable. It's not even a snare, is it? That's a really <laughs> high tone. Yeah. So it's like I, th- I get that too, especially because when you think about it, like some drummers are actually just that 
you know, just that legendary that they have a recognizable sounding kit. Like you can actually hear a Metallica song. And just after you hear the snare, you're like, is that Lars? And then the same thing you could say for Pantera, which, you know, Vinnie Paul had a recognizable kick sound. Not only was it recognizable and like you could hear a Pantera record be like, oh, that sounds like a Vinnie Paul kick. He influenced so many drummers after them that wanted clickier sort of snappier sounding kick sounds where it almost became like a preset in like a lot of DAWs like Pro Tools and Cubase where if you want a metal kick, you just literally get like a Vinnie Paul kick. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it, but those are, you know, the great bands that are instantly recognizable on that level. I get get that too. Like that's, I'm, I am a little conflicted on that too, because being in that perspective myself where I think, uh, in one of our interviews, we were sort of talking about our EP, Beautiful Nightmares, and how I was just saying, like, I I look, I listen to that, and I'm like, it, it's, it could be so much better. Even when we released it, I felt like it didn't sound as good as it could have been. But there's no part of me that wants to go back and redo Beautiful Nightmares, because not just because it's like, you know, art history. I think that's kind of pretentious to call our, our own music art history. It's more so just because to go back and redo your old material is as if to say that this is where your legacy stops. Like now your legacy is just you continuously redoing stuff that you've already right. done. And like, as if to say that you have nothing else left to offer anymore. And I don't feel that's true for us. Like if we have, if we're spending like so much time, effort and energy into doing something like it feels almost like a waste if that was going towards something we've already done as opposed to just doing something that we haven't done yet, because there's a lot of stuff we still would like to explore. And I get that totally from like an artistic perspective, because me, I feel like when a band starts looking retrospectively backwards at their career is when you can kind of tell that the band is starting to get the, to the end. It's like when they're no longer still progressing or still doing something new, they're just kind of rehashing and they're becoming like a nostalgia act then mm-hmm. you sort of feel like you can actually pinpoint in their discography when the band sort of stopped having something to offer and just started looking retrospectively back at their career. And for me, that spells the end of a band. So if Metallica didn't want to do that, I can totally get that. But at the same time, to say that it is not worth doing is, I think, also fallacious, too. It's like, let's say in the future, James Hetfield just has like an unrecoverable arm injury that prevents him from playing guitar that would probably be the time that i think would make sense for him to say like all right you know what let's look back at what we've already done and just start you know tinkering with it maybe give them the base version of injustice for all like i get if they are still capable of doing new stuff that they should do it i definitely think they should like hell i think any metallica fan would agree that the world's still needs more metallica if they can still produce it but then if they are in a point where they physically cannot or mentally cannot or just you know i'm not even going to say financially cannot because that's not going <laughs> to happen they have to make a lot of mistakes <laughs> in their they, twilight they years to, they have to buy a country and then get annexed or something <laughs> But then, like, if still the black album that, will be selling, so I think yeah, there'll still be money coming. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be the point at which it makes sense for them to do it. But it's also just right. questionable if even then they would do it because are they just so headstrong in their 
feelings that even in that situation, they would just so, be so diehard about the way things were that they just don't even feel it like doing it. Because that's where I think the issue would be. Is like I would absolutely go back and do Beautiful Nightmares over again if I was unable to make new stuff happen. And I think that's pretty much exactly where they are coming from too. And it's way more interesting to them to think of what's next rather than go back and redo something. And I, and I think if you had, if you, if they were right, if James and Lars were here with us right now and you're invited to join us anytime, if they were here right now, um, talk, if you listen to this, call me too, you know, I'm going to send my number to him. <laughs> um, but if you were, you know, if they were here right now having this conversation with us, I think there's a million one things they would change because as an artist, I think you instantly, like maybe you spend, you know, a day where you're happy with something and then you release it into the world and then you go back and you're like, we should have done that different. I wish I played this fill differently. I wish I did that look differently. I did this. But if you Dude, think so too much about too. it, but if you think too much about it, you're going to go nuts and you're not going to be you're not going to be striving to for that next album, right? Because now you have that motivation to be like, you know what? Now I'm going to write something better. I'm going to record something better yeah. and, and try to make the next album better. So that's always the drive, right? Like, I think if you ask Metallica, they, in, in fact, Lars Ulrich just did an interview where he, you know, they asked him about the writing process for the next album. And he jokingly said, like, oh, it's the heaviest thing ever. Because that's like, always, he, he said as a joke, but he's like, I still feel like we have our best album left in us. And if you don't feel that way, there's no point in doing the next one. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, like to them, let's be honest, the chances of them writing master puppets or the black album, having those moments in time again are very slim just because it, just because if you look at the history of any artist, but I think they have the potential to write another great album. Mm -hmm. And, but in their eyes, they're chasing the best. Master Puppet's not the best they can do. The Black Island's not the best they can do. Ride the Lightning's not the best they can do. Their best, you still have not heard it if you ask them. And I think you have to have that drive to keep going. And to go back to your point too, listen, I think Testament is a great band. I think that they are, I think their recent albums have been really solid, to be honest. I'm not a huge Testament fan. I, I don't, I, I'm not going to pretend I know, uh, you know, their whole discography. I've really enjoyed the Testament that I've heard. But I think, you know, the, the new Testament album, as awesome as it might be, it's not released with the same relevancy as an album like Hardwired to Self-Destruct or even other albums uh, in the genre that's a very hard comparison to make like anything that testament has ever released barely touches a candle to a single thing metallica has ever done but that gives you more motivation to go back and revisit those tracks you know and do an album of that uh, of that sort i feel like because you're you're kind of doing more to tap into like it, think of like the the type of bands that do uh a hundred greatest hits albums or a hundred different live albums, you know, Iron Maiden perhaps being the exception because they have a, I feel like they're still a fairly relevant band with, they still really promote their new albums at least. And their new albums still do well in the metal world and among their fans, they were, they received well. You're talking about but, Iron Maiden? 
Yeah, but they still release like 50 greatest hits and live albums a year. They're the exception, I think. But most bands that do that are trying to recapture a moment, you know, mm-hmm. where when you think back at Metallica, they've never done a greatest hits album. They've and the live albums yes. they have done have been attached to like a special pro, a, a special project or something big, right? Like they did live shit, which is this massive box set. They did uh, S and M one and two. They did through the never, which is attached to the movie. So like mm-hmm. every live album they've done sort of has a purpose in its catalog. It's not just like, all right, well, we played Japan. Here's a live album. You know, mm-hmm. it just there's a purpose behind it. And I think when you do that stuff, it doesn't water down the catalog, which makes the next release important. There's so many bands that just have a watered down catalog because they re-record songs or they have, you know, all right, this is the 20th best of or, oh, you played Tokyo again. I hope it's as good as the one you released in 2001, you know, like at like some point. Well, we get worse sometimes, too, where you're like, wow, his voice <laughs> yeah. is just gone. Yeah. <laughs> but I and, and I don't mean to shit on Testament because I like Testament, but just because you mentioned them, I'll, I use them as an example. But, you know, there is uh, a reason why certain bands do that and operate that way and a reason why other bands do not. And obviously Metallica's the extreme right because they're the biggest metal band of all time yep. but you know I, I think other bands would fall in that category too you know like uh i mean megadeth has definitely done more greatest hits in live albums than metallica has but not to the same level as you know perhaps other bands you know they're still trying to do well that's kind of weird then, like. because megadeth has done more remastered and remixes than any other <laughs> band in that era <laughs> that is true but think of think of a band like uh, perhaps Slayer's a better example, you know, before they hung it off. Like there's, you're not gonna see too many Slayer greatest hits albums. You're you're gonna see maybe a, what a couple official live albums that they've released with like DVDs or something. So yeah, they did a covers album too. Yeah, so I mean, I I, you know, I but that's a band that was always relevant in their career. You know, that was always popular in their career that was always kind of looking to the next thing even if the next thing wasn't that great hot take slayer was a one trick <laughs> pony <laughs> that's not a hot take i agree with you <laughs> anybody listening at home slayer if, if you're one of those guys that's like metallic or megadeth and you're like fucking slayer you're wrong <laughs> sorry but well you you cannot say that one album by slayer is better than an entire discography of another band it just doesn't work that way i as somebody who likes slayer and they're i i would say they're like uh there's a few albums in their catalog i gravitate to more than others who which i've like listened to once or never really listened to but it's like they're like acdc where it's like once you've heard one slayer yeah. album you pretty much have heard them all I mean, you know? other, even beyond ACDC, like I actually like ACDC enough. I have nine of their albums, yeah. but for Slayer, it's like I enjoy what they have. But at the same time, Slayer absolutely has a limit for me because you can only just hear the same thing of theirs so many times before you're like, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's Slayer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're definitely I would say if, I, if I'm just looking at the big four, they're definitely my least favorite big four band. And it's a pretty large margin between them and the next one. Well, there there is Anthrax for me, so I wouldn't say they're the worst in my opinion. 
I uh, see. I, I like Anthrax. I I especially the John Bush years. I love the John Bush years of Anthrax. Oh, yeah. Now the thing with Anthrax to me is just the, the songs are. It's like I appreciate them, but I feel like Anthrax gets a little too formulaic with their stuff. Like it almost seems as if they come up with like designated verse riffs, chorus riffs, and bridge riffs, and then they're mm-hmm. like, "How many times is the right amount of time to repeat this riff?" <laughs> How many different <laughs> variations of this same thing can we keep doing until a song's like eight minutes long? Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck are you guys doing? <laughs> I will say, though, I mean, Metallica's obviously, I don't know if you know this, they're my favorite band. Um, <laughs> but, and then maybe really? that's, yeah, I know this. And then maybe that's like a close second. Or, really? No, not, no, let me take that back. I'm just talking metal bands. They're probably oh, like, metal bands. in the, like, they're that probably my. metal bands, though. Yeah, like I'm talking thrash metal bands. They're like a close second in terms of thrash metal goes for me personally. But I wouldn't put um, Anthrax would be like, if I'm just looking at the big four, then Anthrax is like third, but they're like, you know, there's a large gap of bands I'd fill in between Anthrax and Megadeth. And then there's a large group of bands I'd put in between Anthrax and Slayer, you know, but um if I was just looking at the big four, I'm looking at one, two, three, four in that order. Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, yep. Slayer. But there's a, like I said, I would easily put uh, a lot of bands before Anthrax and a, even more bands before Slayer in the metal genre. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, if you don't like the one Slayer song that you heard at first, like, or if it just didn't <laughs> stick with you as hard, you're going to have a hard time getting into anything else of theirs. Well, yeah, that's for sure. So it's yeah. like you either love it like just you know freaking fanatically or you kind of like some i don't know that many people that like straight up hate slayer i don't even hate slayer i just think they're yeah they're supremely overrated i just don't think they're that i think they're a good band i just don't think they're yeah. that interesting of a band yeah they're they're a good band i think uh they're now, also they're also like good in i think they have some some stuff is better than others too, which is I think a actual mark of being a good band is that if you were truly so formulaic, like, I don't know, like, a, like ACDC, it's like literally you are just hearing the same shit constantly. <laughs> Slayer yeah. at the very least has songs that I think are better than others. And that shows that there are some sort of differences among their songs. It's just that they all sound like Slayer. Right, and that's that's kind of, I don't know. I'm, this is gonna get deeply philosophical. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go for it. Um, I was trying to, I was trying to remember where this was coming from though. It was like with the whole comparing Testament to Metallica in terms of the way they look at their careers. And we definitely are going down a rabbit hole here, but let's go. Yeah, yeah, let's take yeah. a dive. I, mean, I don't know. For me, I think it's just like Slayer is like. Uh, they're good i do not think they're as good as some people have just screamed in my face that they are slayer yeah i i, I don't think i would ever un like unironically scream slayer at somebody like that <laughs> but some people like i just i wish i wish i loved slayer as much as slayer fans love slayer because i wish i could see what that appeal is because i yeah. i just don't like yeah some people even say there doesn't exist like casual slayer fans and i'm like um yeah, no, I right would consider, I would definitely consider myself a, a more casual Slayer fan. Like, 
there's a, like I said, there's a couple albums in their catalog that I gravitate to. And then there's other albums I never really listened to or heard once. And, you know, I always check out what they did when they release something new. And I always go, oh, it sounds like Slayer. And I'd move on to the next thing. Yeah. But then compare <laughs> that to a band like Metallica or even Megadeth, yeah. where some people even to say that there is an old and new Metallica or an old and new Megadeth like that, they must be doing something wildly different in their careers. Sure. For them to even have fan bases like that. Maybe even some people like them as a whole, but still identify that, you know, there's old, like there's the younger like Megadeth and that they're never going to be able to recapture again. There's like this middle nineties version of, of Megadeth that doesn't ever mm. come back again. And then you even said yourself that you aren't a fan of any of their two thousands record. I'm like not, not even United Abominations, dude. I mean, that's definitely one of the best from the, t- I just, here's my thing, right? I think they have released albums so often in the two thousands that in the, the songwriting has just gotten watered down. I feel like if they took more time on their albums and their later albums they could probably get rid of a lot of the more filler tracks and have one or two really solid albums but i just think that they just get more and more generic and watered down as you go along in my opinion i know a lot of people like heard dystopia and they were really into it i'm like i think it's better than super collider but what does that say you know like i i just i I, watering down started to really get bad at 13 though the well yeah the like the here's here's where i stand with megadeth if you ask me their last the last album that i loved from start to finish i would say um uh why am i blanking right now it was the the system has failed i love that album well that's from 2004 I know, but when you after that, you got United Abominations, and I was like, I like it. It's fine. It's Servers Bulls got some cool tracks. I went back, like I said, and re-listened to it, and I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, especially the first like mm-hmm. handful of tracks. And then the album kind of goes on, and it gets a little bit more like generic in my opinion. And then pretty much everything after that, I'm like. Eh. I'm good with one listen. I don't need to go back to it. I don't need to go back to... Um, there's a couple interesting songs on um, Endgame. There's a, there's a couple it, interesting... It not do it for me. I don't know There's why. a couple interesting songs on each one, I think. I'm not saying good, even. Interesting songs. Dude, I struggle to but, even say what's my favorite song on Endgame because I'm like, dude, that album was a fucking blur. I, but that's how I feel about all of them after... like. Endgame bleeds into 13, bleeds into Super Collider, bleeds into Dystopia for me. There are a couple standout tracks. I mean, Super Collider kind of stands out mostly just because that's a really bad album, I think. like the, Especially in the song, Super Collider is just a bad Megadeth I, song. That's, that but, is the one album of theirs I do not have. Yeah, that's the one album that nobody needs to own. <laughs> but I, there I mean, is... I don't even think it's to say bad because again that's subjective i think it is a very oh my god there's a word for this it's generic well yeah generic watered down another word watered down all all contenders there's a specific <laughs> word that comes to mind with that album it's uh shitty incredibly <laughs> the term i would say is incredibly out of touch it's yeah. just like he yeah. completely forgot like what the fuck even is megadeth like 
would Super Collider be that bad if it was a, if it wasn't Megadeth? If he just if he just made a side project and then that was where Super Collider was released, I think that would have been fine. But like, dude, Megadeth fans don't listen to shit like Super Collider. Well, and there's also like, you know, I when you're a Megadeth fan, you accept you you have accepted some silliness, some quirkiness from uh, the lyrics or the vocals or the subject matter. But especially when the music like backs it up, you know, like Russ and Peace is one of my favorite metal albums. Yeah. I think Lucretia, if you look at the lyrics, it's a dumb song. The lyrics are stupid, but the well, it's Dave a Mustard cool song. have always been kind of stupid, to be honest. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. But when you when the music no longer backs it up, mm-hmm. then you just are left with a dumb average song. So like like United Abominations, I remember opening it up. And there's like a whole like thing in the CD book about like 24 and Jack Bauer. And I'm like, what the, like, mm-hmm. what the hell? Like you're now writing like a storyline based on like a Fox, like action drama. Like what is going on here? And then it just like progressively got worse with each passing album. I'm, I, yeah. I st- I'm, 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 trust me. They're one of my favorite metal bands. Like I said, I'm optimistic about each album. I think I think um, their new lead guitarist Kiko. I think he might he he might be their best lead guitarist since Marty Freeman. I love how his guitar sounds. I don't think Dystopia the songwriting was necessarily all there, but I'm optimistic that uh, the, I feel like I, Dystopia I, had to kind of be like uh, the world needs a hero, and it was the first attempt yeah. back to what they were supposed to be doing after an album like Risk or Super Collider, which is why I feel like I'm optimistic. And and there's been a, a like because of everything that went on with his cancer and um, you know, just the world in general with COVID and everything, I feel like there's, it's given them more time to kind of spend on this record. And I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very optimistic. I I, I think they have, I I think they have a great song about washing your hands and wearing a mask. I'm going to fucking quit. Oh, you gotta wash your hands and stand six feet apart. Six, six. They're going to do the whole six feet feet away from me. How, wait, how has a metal band not yet done six, six, six feet apart? How is a metal band not done? Like That's in that touche. massive wasteland of Spotify, there probably exists like hundreds <laughs> of those songs. Touche. Listen, if you want that idea for Gershock, you can oh, have yes. it. I, you <laughs> don't have to pay me uh, any royalties when you make the millions. You know what's funny, though? The song you mentioned earlier about how the last album of, of Megadeth that you appreciated from start to finish being The System Has Failed. You yeah. know what happened around that era? That was around the time that Dave Mustaine started looking back at Megadeth's career retrospectively because mm. after they did The System Has Failed, it was assumed that Megadeth was just done because everybody quit. And Right, and he had the whole arm thing. And, and... and then after 2004, that was when all of those remasters and like remixes of those yeah. past classics happened. And that's the... like most classic example of looking retrospectively back at your own career and to sort of even like legitimize that whole argument I was making about why that's kind of an issue because you don't want that for Metallica because if they still have something to offer, you wouldn't want them to go down the route of continuously watering down and maybe writing songs more so that they can be tied into video games and like TV shows 
rather than because they're good songs like if you don't want that for metallica then that's probably because that's what happened with megadeth after 2004 because you start having that you have like the sort of christina scabia duet for a two limones on on uh united abominations you have 13 which is just straight up like yeah this is just me talking about all of my past albums (laughs) I mean, there's just too many times where I feel like he has, Mustaine has just tried too hard. You know, like he's, he's, you know, a lot of, uh, like a lot of people want to be rock stars. There's something about Mustaine where he's wired, where he's like, I'm a rock star, but now I want to be like a pop star. Like he, he's always kind of want to cross over into like have that massive, like, soundtrack song or that Mm -hmm. you know blow up on like that video game or you know like have like this big pop moment in time and i've never really understood that because i just don't think you know i think he's a a genius in his own way i just don't think he's you know he's not going to be michael jackson or madonna i'm sorry (laughs) well the thing i think the reason he does that and this is probably another hot take is because well, Metallica did it, so why can't I do it? Well, and I have this whole theory that uh, everything through basically up until the 2000s, uh, basically up till Risk, so till the end of the 90s, everything yeah, Mustaine did, yeah, everything Mustaine did was modeled after what Metallica did. Mm-hmm. So if you look at, you know, Metallica had Kill 'em All. They had Killing's My Business. Business is good. They had um, Metallica did Injustice for All, their most progressive album. What came after that? Rust in Peace, their most progressive album. Metallica did the Black album, kind of more. That that's the Countdown to Extinction one is especially like yeah. yeah how do you just both have the same exact thought process that quickly? And then you did Countdown to Extinction. Exactly. And then you have. Um, that was also like kind of the trend in metal. Once the blackout came, it was like, oh, look at we can make all this money doing this if we just kind of do it this way. Um, and then there was, uh, in, you, Lars actually came up with the album title for Risk because he said in an interview, uh, he yeah, was asked about Mustaine. That. He was like, I, I would, I love Dave. I just like to see him take more risk. And this was during, you know, load, reload, and Metallica was trying new things. And lo and behold, we get risk, like kind Mm -hmm. of the answer to that. And then I feel like after that, he kind of started going back into like the metal on his own and kind of trying to recapture and find like what Megadeth was again, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And he kind of went off and did his own thing. But I think up till 1999, they really like kind of eerily modeled what they did. I think the only real thing that they did um, first and kind of independently was they kind of became known for like the more political stuff, more so um, the Metallica did on like in Just For All. Like if you look at Pete Sells, but who's buying, it's definitely a lot more yeah. political of an album. I mean, so, even like, for that the kind stuff of that is stuff like politically charged first, on Injustice For All, it's very apolitical when you think about it. Like nobody oh, totally, exactly yeah. is arguing that that the courts are justified in like siphoning money into cases just to make a profit. (laughs) Like nobody thinks that that's a good stance. Whereas like Megadeth actually is taking very sort of polarizing thought processes on these, like just going straight for the United uh, Nations, for instance, is like, 
that's not an apolitical thing. That's very political. <laughs> right. Totally. And I, and I think, so I will give them credit for that, but I think just musically sort of the direction they went in, in the eighties and nineties is kind of a, it's always been, I'm not saying like they were copying, but it's always been like a direct response to what they were doing. Mm-hmm. I would actually say, I don't know about that. I would say that they continue that up to Endgame. And this right. is I, I want to hear it. Yeah, this is something I wanted to even get into because I think you'll find this hilarious when I get into it. Is that Scotty and I even talked about this once during practice about what must have been going on through Dave Mustaine's head around Endgame. Because to me, <laughs> again, scary thing. that album is such a fucking blur. I remember when I was done with it, I'm like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> not in a bad way just kind of like the what just happened is it over <laughs> but it's because like for me that's another reason why i actually really like united abominations is because for all of that talk and all of that boastful pride that dave mustang has i feel like united abominations is the first time i feel it really came alive as if he was on top of the mountain and th that's because he, for all intents and purposes, absolutely was feeling that way about himself. So, like, you take the load era, you take S&M, and then you take Dave Mustaine's answer to that, which was Risk. After Risk, Dave Mustaine, like, unlike Metallica, Dave Mustaine then looked back on that with pure regret and then went and did The World Needs a Hero because they were like shit we need to start over and try this again right and then they did that in the meantime they were writing the music that was going to go into the system has failed and metallica was writing the music that was going to go into saint anger in the middle of megadeth writing that music um <clears throat> since that came out in 2004 in the middle of those songs being written saint anger drops and the world is like metallica is done and then shortly afterwards Megadeth releases the music that they were already working on and then release that as the system has failed. And now you start to see this weird shift that never happened to Dave Mustaine before where people are saying, you know, I think Megadeth is better than Metallica now. And that went to his head big time <laughs> on United <laughs> Abominations. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you actually listen to it and hear it the way I do, but it's like when I listen to United Abominations, it's like the sound of, somebody who has been fighting to be the king of the hill for his entire decade who is now feeling the full blast of that power and just going mad with it it's like he like he wasn't going to have that with the system has failed because he was still trying to rekindle the the metal side that he lost and sort of like you know he even has that song something that i'm not that's basically an open letter to lars ulrich yeah about like the decision he made Which, risk. that song's hilarious because he has a son yeah. in it and he's like he's like oh i, I forget the line that i i've mentioned before on the podcast but it's just hilarious i'll see if i can find it hold on continue <laughs> yeah so it's like he, they weren't going to have that mentality with the system has failed because they were actively writing that while St. Anger was still in production as well. So then St. Anger drops and then system of system has failed. I almost said system of down <laughs> system has failed is released. And those just sort of created the tides after that. Now it's like Dave Mustaine is looking back at Metallica after having copied their formula for so long and being like, wait, people hated that album, but they liked the system has failed. I'm the fucking king now. And yeah. then 
they do United Abominations, and I just I love that album for just how fucking in your face and boastful it is. Like that's just that's the thing that I've always wanted Dave Mustaine to be. Like we're not going to get a down to earth sort of middle ground dude out of Mustaine whatsoever. <laughs> There's just no version of that that I even want to exist. So yeah. I was like, hell yeah! I just want to see the most like braggadocious version of him that's possible and that we got that on united abominations then the next year death magnetic released and it wasn't it the tune was done it was no longer mega metallica is dead mega death reigns supreme it was now they did death magnetic and people were like welcome back to the fold metallica we've missed you and then dave mustang was like no 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 you can't can't do that this was my turn and it's like fuck you i can write a much faster album then he fucking writes endgame and then the riffs are just so angrily fast and just so all over the place he's like struggling to maintain that king of the hill mentality that he had in united abominations i'm like and then i hear it and you could just you can just hear like something in his brain just fucking snapped (laughs) and he's just like it's like no i'm still the best i'm still better than fuck you listen to this riff it's like this is 300 bpm and i'm like what the fuck is going on (laughs) i can see that so two things one the part in something that I'm not was that I was trying to think of that I blanked on was when his son goes, "You little baby." <laughs> <laughs> what? That's his son? Yeah, I believe it's his son. I thought that um, was some like girl or something in that part. <laughs> no, I, I think it's his son. He was obviously very young, um, but he goes, "You little baby." Um, <laughs> and then the other thing I was going to say, um, which now of course I'm blanking. It was a great point though that I had. It was brilliant. It was just genius. It was going to put me above Joe Rogan in the podcast world. Uh, um, no, so now, now I'm li- now you're hyping this up, and I'm <laughs> I'm gonna help you rem- remember it. Um, it'll it'll come to me. It'll so we were talking me. about like system has failed, kind of at the same time as Saint Anger, and then yeah, Megadeth, yeah, like yeah. on that King of the Hill vibe. Yeah. Oh, I thank you. So now uh, I, I I definitely have a vivid memory of, you know, growing up with Load, Reload, and then there was, you know, S and M, and then there was, uh, I disappeared, and there was Napster, then there was Saint mm-hmm. Anger. So like they just kind of progressively, they obviously they were always popular, but they were progressively mm-hmm. like taking their hits, right? Like just hit after hit after hit after hit. Um, from Is there like really that big the, of a reaction to I disappear though? Um, I think no, anything, I mean, not, that just not, added not to more, the, not I think more that just added so. to the fire of people saying they sold out because it was a movie tie-in song, right? Like that more so, but it was just sort of part of that overall thing of like, oh, they did, um, you know, they cut their hair, they watered down their sounds, they did an all covers album because they're out of original ideas. They did, um, you know, a symphony because they suck. I, like just mm-hmm. stupid, you know, things that I heard. But they were taking all these hits from the metal community anyways um, because they were doing all these new things. And so I, I had so many like friends and relatives would be like, made this better because they're still metal. And da, da, da. Mm-hmm. You know, like having that dumb uh, argument that you have. And I was always like had to defend Metallica, you know, mm-hmm. and then and I and then, like you said, it flipped. And then people were like, now it's not an even an argument that people would even 
consider like between death magnetic and hardwired to self-destruct have been so uh pe- most people have been so positive towards both mm-hmm. those albums and now you know they're putting on great shows and stadiums and they're just like yeah, they're playing so, the biggest shows they've ever played in their yeah, lives and they're just light years ahead of where any other metal band is right now at their age after all these yeah. years and now I mean, people are just sort of like all right you know what? like we're just gonna stop with that argument we're, gonna, we're not gonna fight that fight anymore <laughs> but there was definitely a time where the metal community like i remember like fans and uh friends and family members who were like metalheads were definitely like making that's better because you know they never cut their hair even though i think david elson definitely had a short haircut at one oh point. yeah he did and, they, and it's like you know they never uh uh you know sold out even though it's like it's not like cryptic writings and are is like a super i which i say this out of love because i think cryptic writings is one of their best albums in my humble opinion but mm-hmm. i think it's not like cryptic writings is like you know rust in peace part two you know <laughs> or like this super heavy dark album or anything but it's just no i mean you know, like right after but they were I still yeah, right after I Disappears, Megadeth themselves started writing movie video game tie-in songs just like I Disappear. <laughs> right. So it's just funny to look back on it, you know, but that was when like, you know, Metallica was also um adding fuel on the fire when they I remember reading interviews where Lars was like, he would just say things to fuck with people, so I remember him like doing interviews where he's like yeah, you know, if it was up to me, we would take metal out of Metallica because I don't even consider us a metal band anymore. You know, like just like things to get a reaction. Just like yep. I feel like that whole th- that does that's what all load reload was in terms of like the image. You know, like we're gonna cut our hair. Hey, Lars and Kirk are gonna kiss for this photo. Let's put on some yeah. mascara. You know, it's just kind of like just to get it, like, hey, we're not. Uh, you know, we're gonna just kind of strip away everything that you, you know, think, I think that we some, are. Something that some people forget about is that they literally were kissing on photo when they were touring in Russia where homophobia is like almost a crime. <laughs> so it was like actually just a way to say, fuck you government. <laughs> but it's definitely, uh, but it's definitely funny how, you know, did I say homophobia? Change. I meant homosexuality. <laughs> <laughs> Homo- how dare you hate on gay people? <laughs> Go in jail. I knew what you meant. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's funny how things change over time, you know, and I think there's no denying at this point that, you know, we were just talking about this in the last episode I did, um, you know, Metallica has crossed over into this next level of their career where they're, they're now officially among the, the ranks of, you know, the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and Bruce Springsteen and just that upper level of legend. Specifically, I think it was Pink Floyd that they got compared most to, especially with the Through the Never movie, because that was basically like the closest they came to making a metal version of The Wall. Like this massive stage that they took with them that was like practically a Cirque du Soleil kind of event where they had these massive like things on stage that actually had like, you know, the album covers in real life like there's something that megadeth wouldn't be able to do even if they tried to because they just don't have metallica fuck you money like they do sure yeah well, i mean that's that's another thing too is that you know they definitely have more money to throw at projects uh, whether it's an album or a movie or a, a, a live event or pretty much anything that they do in their career mm-hmm. but i think the they also 
also give you, you know, like people are willing to spend money on them because they're always giving you the best possible product that they can, you know, where, whereas, you know, I don't, I don't think you can say that about every artist out there. Mm. Um, you know, like even if you get it, um, and, and I say that like their, their fan club back in the day was the perfect example. Like I would have never, I, I was never one to join like a band's fan club, even if I loved the band, but I spent $50 or whatever it was a year for Metallica because you got, like a nice t-shirt you got a nice glossy magazine several times a year you got uh you could go online and get first dibs on concert tickets like there were actual benefits and like really nice products that came along with you got the fan cans yeah. you got like all no, this they, cool stuff they treated their fan club like a proto patreon they really did they really did and now even like the fan club has changed where it's all online and it's it's free to join for everybody but like i'm still like grandfathered in so i still get like you know extra benefits so like if there's um uh you know uh concert tickets go on sale and there's a pre-sale like i'll get the pre-sale on this day and then everybody else in the fan club gets the pre-sale like the next day you know because so like there's still benefits to being a part of it even though it's changed and it's not exactly what it was before you know and now it's a free thing anyways it's not like i'm not like i'm still spending 50 bucks and not getting the physical products i'm not spending anything and i'm getting benefits out of it so it's like it's a win-win i think just i just think they always have done things really well and always taken care of their fans along the way which i think is why they are big and have that money have that fuck you money as you said yeah 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 i mean it's even to say like with that whole analogy of how a lot of what megadeth did was always just indirect like response to what metallica did it's to say like because megadeth or because dave mustang specifically i'm just gonna say like wanted so badly for megadeth to be sort of seen at the same table as like any other pop like group that just had this one massive hit that defined the whole genre of metal as a whole like because he kept chasing that he never got it because metallica when they even when they were at their prime at their biggest possible like state of relevance never set out to do that they just did what they wanted to do and it just right. worked and like just by dumb luck just probably the luckiest fucking metal band in the world to be honest. <laughs> just the idea that they just wanted to do a thing they did it and it just worked every time for like several times in a row yeah so this is like two separate topics we wrapped under one episode where we started with the remix we were doing well and now we've gone under this whole other rabbit hole which i love that's what i love doing about yeah. this podcast is well, that I, you just... I wouldn't even say it's too unrelated to it because we were talking a lot about how megadeth handled their remasters thing and if anything right I feel like that's the devil's advocate in you sort of wagering as to why it would be even problem for Metallica to look retrospectively back right. at their no, career. You're right. Much like Megadeth did in 2004, where you feel like the magic was starting to die. Where, where, see, we were just doing the behind the music of all of our reasoning and thoughts and opinions and. You tied it all together. Are you the podcast professional now, X? Did you just yeah, do so that? Everybody, everybody listening at home, this will be on the test. I'm going to make sure that you are taking notes. And if you forget anything, this is going to be 50% of your grade. Oh, shit. I uh, um, wasn't paying attention. 
Um, any? I, I feel like yeah. I feel like not not really uh, not much of what we do is an accident as much as people think it is. I think there can always be like something to take from it, and even when things go down a rabbit hole, I feel like it's important to tie it together so that it's you come out of it not feeling like you went on a massive tangent that went nowhere, <laughs> and you instead feel like there was sort of a benefit to it and you actually feel like you learned something or even gained something from it yes. that you wouldn't have had without exploring at least a little deeper in what that was going to be. Absolutely agree. Any final thoughts on the remix, the any any part of what we talked about in this episode? Any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I have to think about, like, what the talking points were. So, like, I guess what I want to wrap this up with is that the reason I wanted to talk about this in the first place actually came from Metal Up Your Podcast, where when we did the hate comment video, right? I remember when we recorded that, I actually filmed myself quoting vaguely what James Hetfield said in regards to the whole Mona Lisa quote. But yeah. when, I, when I was editing it, I didn't feel like it was official enough because it made it seem like I was putting words in his mouth. So I wanted to find a clip where James actually said that, and that didn't exist. So... I ended up just looking up other people quoting the article and metal up your podcast came up for me. And when they talked about the Mona Lisa thing, they took like, by the way, by the way, you violated your exclusivity uh, contract that you signed with Metallicast when you did so. So we will, my lawyers will be contacting your lawyers, but go ahead and continue. Okay, so uh, there was this unnamed <laughs> podcast that, you know... The Unnamed Feeling awesome podcast, podcast, yes. <laughs> I mean, you're cool with them too, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just shitting on you. But no, yeah, no. no I, bet, I, I bet they're listening to that part right now and they're all like, oh, dude, they're talking about us. Hey, fuck you. Let that guy talk about our podcast, man. We're cool too. <laughs> no, uh, the cool thing, there's a, there's a lot of Metallica podcasts out there. There's them there's me there's uh alpha Metallica, there's and podcasts for all alpha Metallica. that was the one that i think i saw that that i was mentioning that i saw of yours earlier uh, that I, um the mine huh i think it was like did you like do a joint thing with them i i was on an episode we talked about we did yeah. it again oh the, it actually the wasn't horrible cover it wasn't metallicast you were on an episode of alpha Metallica. Yeah, I was on an episode of Mel Up Your Podcast as well. We yeah. were we all we all get along on the interwebs and uh they've uh um Cleanse from Metal Up Your Podcast was on an early episode of Metallicast and they've always been very uh uh supportive of the show and of me and I'm very appreciative of them and uh they're really cool guys, really nice guys. And I and I think, you know, we recognize that we're all part of uh the same community, but we have a lot of this there's definitely people who prefer one over the other, depending on their opinion. There's I mean, definitely it's not one. like there's any exclusivity contracts or anything like that. Right? <laughs> Therefore, for you, there is. Yeah. So yeah, my lawyers me, were like, I, I, you know what? I've already fucking broke the law. I'm just going to say everything that I'm not supposed to say now. <laughs> no, go for it. So, like, I guess the main thing I was saying is, like, to make it sound more official in our video, I actually just took a clip of them quoting james hetfield saying what he said because right it, when you watch that part of the video it basically looks like i'm not just putting words in his mouth like this is literally what he said he sure. literally compared and joseph for all to the mona lisa 
<laughs> yeah. I can't get over that. But at the same time, like when <laughs> they mentioned it, I remember continuing watching it because they talked about how they were like, yeah, I get it. It's over. Like they're done with that feeling. Like, and how can you ask them to go back and do that again? And I'm like, Ooh, I want to fight. I want to fight these guys. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same well, time, see, now they like, are listening and be like, Oh, Fuck that guy. He's the same talking about you because I <laughs> yeah. felt like I wanted to at least have a mediator if there was going to be that. And I remember you took a more neutral stance on that. You were talking about the whole me like Megadeth going back on their albums. And then they were just straight up talking full polar opposite of what I was saying. And I don't necessarily feel like you get very far in those conversations if it's just two people shouting, matching each other. I think it's sure. like you have to at least have a mediator. But at the same time, I don't know what they would say just yet. It could have been a shouting match. They could have actually seen like another perspective or whatever. So I don't want to assume that that's what would have happened. But I just felt the safety of having a more neutral stance. Somebody who I already have talked spoken to would have kind of brought that perspective. So maybe what I want to try to see is if this could be like an open invite to the guys from Metal Up Your Podcast to have their own response back to this because i feel like we've you and i have like some like agree to disagree moments but for the most part you and i are kind of on the same page right mm -hmm. so, yeah i mean i think i think i see i i i would if that's their stance and i want to put words in their mouth if that's their stance then i'm like on both sides where like i said i i think it's over it's a moment in time let it go but i'm interested to explore the other possibilities as long as this over here doesn't get taken away as long as yeah. that original vision isn't erased and or forever altered you know mm -hmm. so this i guess to end this i would just like to open the invitation up to metal up your podcast to see you know you guys i I assume you're like listening to this part of the podcast right now being like wow this is getting really meta he's talking about me and now he's smiling <laughs> and now you guys listening are smiling because you're like what the fuck he's just saying my thoughts to me well listen if you're if if uh clint and ethan are not listening i know we have a lot of mutual listeners so you can you know let's start the conversation on twitter at least gershock's on there mel yeah. on there i'm on there and let's have a Twitter conversation. And uh, Clint and Ethan, they know hopefully that they're welcome on my show anytime. Yeah. Um, I will gladly invite myself on their show anytime. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> no, and, and you're well, and you're welcome on my show. Anytime. Yeah, yeah. And you're welcome. <laughs> Imagine if I was exclusive to them, but I had this podcast. How scandalous would that be? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Your lawyers would probably hate your ass. Listen, you're <laughs> welcome to go on any Metallica podcast you want, as long as you have my written consent before you do so. <laughs> well i'm gonna make sure i keep that in mind when i see your lawyers in court <laughs> but yeah not only the twitter thing um anybody listening to this uh let's just put up a twitter poll like should metallica revisit their past material yes or no that i think that'd be an interesting poll to put up too yeah let's definitely i'll get that together and uh i'll throw it up there during the week of this episode's release and if you are listening to this episode past the first week it's been out what what takes you so long you should be downloading <laughs> this day one and listening to this yeah, day you, one y'all broke curfew <laughs> i don't i don't get why some people feel like they have lives that are important oh i have a job oh i have a family oh i have friends guess nah, what dude, it's pandemic it's, nobody it's, has friends it's anymore it's covid season you don't have a life don't lie to us 
<laughs> I'm your family. I'm your friends. Love me. Love me. Listen to me. Harvester of Sorrow. <laughs> <laughs> he bent the side. Yeah, so I guess, uh, you know, if uh, if the guys, what is it, Clinton? Uh, Ethan. I forget the other guy's name. Ethan, yes. If Clinton and Ethan heard this, like, maybe they change their mind. Maybe they still stand to the. If they want to open fire on my point, like, they are welcome to bring. Oh, they were welcome to bring both of us on if, since we talked about this. And we can just have, like, a whole thing about that. That's just up to them, you know, putting the putting the ball in their court. That's what the thing <laughs> well, is. Well, I know knowing them, they would they would uh, have a very civil conversation. They're not the yelling type. Oh, no, um, it's cool with me. And I think they would bring a very uh, uh, valid points, the same as you would on both sides. So I think it'd be an interesting conversation. I think there's a lot of people listening who will have valid points as well. I know some have been guests of the show, some are just interacting on the show. So let's start the conversation on social media. I think this is the kind of thing that uh, we can start a little, uh, uh, what will start as a civil conversation will explode as a Metallica gang war at some point, and it'll be a beautiful yes. shit show oh, on social media. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I will bring Scotty back if there's like a <laughs> bunch of people that are just all like, dude, Metallica cannot do anything wrong. And I'm like, oh, hey, Scotty, come in here for a second. <laughs> um, I will not break the contract, though. It will not be on your podcast because he has lost his <laughs> microphone rights to your podcast. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I, I, I clown on him. But you know what? His his opinion is still valid. And I think he did kind of help us steer the same anger thing the way it did so you know i'm not gonna rag on him too much <laughs> scotty was a blast when he was on he yeah. just you know needed the mic taken away from him once or twice <laughs> no i'm just glad there's someone in the band who can actually be like that dude who just yeah acts fully the part of like what everyone thinks a rock star is supposed to act like <laughs> totally you need that guy yeah, Scotty's yeah. perfect for it. I guess I guess we're like if Metallica never kicked Mustaine out. <laughs> <laughs> He's your Mustaine. Uh, that's perfect. Um, so if we're going to be uh, engaging in battle on this on social media, no, we're gonna have a nice civilized conversation about Metallica. If you're interested, you can find me on the Twitter and the Facebook and the Instagram at MetallicaSpod. X, where can everybody find you in the band? So on Instagram, I am GershockX. That's my personal. But you can find Gershock, just G-U-R-S-C-H-A-C-H, on pretty much every social media platform except Pinterest, I guess. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, even TikTok we recently got into. So we're on that. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook especially. And on YouTube, I think we YouTube has just recently become our most subscribed platform, despite me telling people not to do that. But, you know, <laughs> people are going to do well, what they want to do. TikTok's great for you guys because I feel like what you've done with your YouTube channel is great and a really uh, clever. You do a lot of clever things as a band that uh, I think, you know, you're you guys are doing something very smart and you're using all the all these tools that everybody uses anyways to uh get your music out there to get your name out there and in really clever and fun ways on youtube and i think so i think tiktok is going to be perfect for you yeah. guys we haven't posted anything yet but stay tuned for some gershock stuff on tiktok uh not even just to promote ourselves just make some fucking content you know why not right i mean hey this is the perfect time to create content Nobody else is doing anything else. Yeah. 
no concerts that, just you know <laughs> buy our shirts of course <laughs> don't subscribe to our youtube channel for the love of fucking god uh but you are free to follow us on facebook instagram twitter <laughs> our website spotify all that other stuff and we'll have a conversation on uh the interwebs hopefully with all of you listening the metallica Asmode show yeah. and if uh any of the other metallica podcasts want to join the conversation i'd love to hear what you guys think uh and clinton ethan you started this apparently so <laughs> yeah. yeah you fucking started it assholes. <laughs> <laughs> no i love you man <laughs> um so it'll be very interesting to hear your guys point of view if uh you want to be a part of it all right x Thank you. This was a blast. You're welcome back anytime on Metallicast. Had a blast with you too, man. Till next time. Peace. I want to thank x from gershock for coming back on metallicast this was a really great almost two hour conversation that i'm hoping all of you in metallicast Bonisha want to become a part of so take part in the twitter poll on my twitter account at metallicast pod you can follow me on there and please just join the conversation whether it's on the twitter or on facebook or instagram i am at metallicast pod on all three Please give Gershock a follow as well. You can check out the links in the episode description to their social media, as well as to their official website, Gershock.com. Buy a shirt. And you can also check out their YouTube videos that we talked about in this episode, specifically the music video for St. Anger Reimagined that has gone viral, as well as the hate comment video that we uh, discussed and where the Metal Up Your Podcast uh, comment is from. So please check all that out. Give them their support. They're an up-and-coming metal band from San Francisco that are starting to make a lot of waves ever since the release of their St. Anger cover. Really great stuff. Check them out. If you are new to the podcast and you liked what you heard, please give me a subscription. Please uh, download the episodes. And please leave a positive five-star review in Apple Podcasts because all that goes a long way into helping me continue to grow the podcast and to continue getting great guests like x from gershock until next time ladies and gentlemen middle up your ass yeah fans not experts